It's a good day, and the suns are going to shine again. Well, thank you, Brother Val. That was uh, engaging and uh, thoughtful. Um, as I sat and listened here, I thought, yeah, I've been in Val's classes again. <laughs> and uh, so some of the things I have to say today will uh, hopefully reemphasize Especially, I mean, the parts about idolatry and how Satan uses the pleasures of life um, for his tool. So I think we're going we're gonna to think about that some here as we go through. Let's just pause for a word of prayer. Yes, Bear. He wants it louder again. I wonder if we can eat that thing yet. see here. Testing one, two, three. If we bring it. Uh, let's go up with it. Let's force it up there and down on it. Okay. Testing one, two, three, Bear. Alright. Now let's try prayer again. Heavenly Father, it's a gift and a blessing to be here with all these wonderful people that are engaging with the kingdom of God and are engaged in it. I trust, Lord, that today as we again have uh, been meditating on uh, idolatry and how that can easily creep on, up on us in the multitude. I uh, pray, Lord, we're not given to the multitude, but come out as a remnant. And uh, even in the assembly of your saints, Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to that end, in Jesus' name. Amen. Secure or insecure, the fear of God or the fear of man? Who do you fear the most? The subject today will be on the fear of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. One had six wings, and twain he covered his face, and twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is filled with His glory. So, today I'd like to back up and take another run at this subject. So, the first part is going to be some review. For those of you who were here yesterday, those of you who weren't yesterday, you get to have a little bit of a rerun here. So i got to back up a little bit to take a run at it again instead of just hopping right in. Well, there's my passage I just read to you. So God has created within each of us the desire to be appreciated by others. Normal that He made us to find a sense of worth when others notice and appreciate what we do or who we are to them. We all want to know 
that we have value and that others notice and affirm our value. That desire to know that we have value was put there by God. And he said, when he made us in his image, that what he made was very good. The desire to know that we belong is deep within us. And what we feel from people does impact us. Rejection hurts, and it should. We have our choices to make when we feel it, but it does hurt. And we don't like when others are unhappy with us. And when we're ignored by those who are near us, we feel it. And when our genuine efforts to achieve and to contribute go unnoticed, we feel it. So what happens when this God-given desire for approval, affirmation, love, and belonging becomes a driving motivation? So at some point along the way, with this natural inborn need, there's a shift. Um... I I really can't explain it to you. When that is, how it really happens, but we got to realize it can happen. Maybe somebody else can help me explain that in the question-answer discussion time at the end. To bring it up again, we can talk about those things. I I really haven't been able to explain it yet. What the devil does so often is to take what God created to be a normal gift and blessing and enlarge it into an idolatrous indulgence. So, that's where Brother Val was parking. He's understanding this idolatrous indulgence. Um, So, he was talking about some of these things. Can you rename some of those areas that are normal and natural that the devil takes and enlarges into idolatry? Can you name some of them again? What were they? Money. Money. Food. Singing. Work. Position. Family. That's another big one. Yeah. Sexuality. Devotion. We're talking about fear here. The fear of man. But you know, fear is also a good thing. It, it uh, keeps public speakers in check. <laughs> it's an asset. I enjoy reading um, old devotional books. This one here is uh, by E. Stanley Jones. Um, about 1920, something like that. I think he was kind of ahead of his time. Ahead of his time. 
whatever that means. Like, now we're ahead of where they were. There's nothing new under the sun. Listen to him. Almost every evil is some perverted good. Worry, anxiety, and fear are perverted good. There's an instinct within us to look ahead, to plan, to think about meeting possible situations before they come. This capacity of foresight is probably one of the basic reasons for man's rise above the animal. The animal has only a limited capacity to foresee. Man has a great capacity to foresee. So animal stops at a dead end and man marches on to infinite goals. The capacity to foresee and foreplan and forestall is the power that lifts us out of the is into the can be. It is the secret of progress. And as such, it must be cultivated. Without it, we sink back to an animal. The will to live must be projected not only into the now, but also into the to be. We must master today. We must master tomorrow. Jesus commands this. Well, the master praised the dishonest factor to looking ahead for the children of light Oh, for the children of this world look farther ahead in dealing with their generation than the children of light. The, a lack, now get this, a lack of intelligent planning makes us the pioneers of today instead of the pioneers of tomorrow. So we have the ability to look ahead, but that looking ahead also can be a cause for worry and anxiety and fear of the future. You have a beautiful capacity. But the devil likes to take these certain aspects of fear, like the fear of getting up in front of people and say, nah, I'm not going to do it. I sit down. Here's actually a good thing. So, that was a side note. Okay. That's this driving motivation for approval, affirmation, love, and belonging is called being controlled by the opinions of others. Here's another list of evidences of being controlled by the opinions of others. So now we've gone from it being a good thing about being sensitive to people to an oversensitivity. So being overly competitive, needing to get the edge. Shyness, inhibitedness, insecurity, pure pressure, yeah, oversensitivity, self-conscious, easily embarrassed, codependent, latching on, the fear of failure, which... Again, fear, but if I mess up, I'm just quitting. I'm out of here. Given to gossip. How does that fit into a fear of man? Well, it actually makes me feel better when I talk about the faults of others to somebody else. Now I feel better. Are defensive. Can't take instruction. And don't handle rejection well. So the Bible calls this driving motivation for approval... The fear of man. And the fear of man brings a snare. But whoso put it to trust in the Lord is safe. 
So here's a snare. We've got the swivel at the top. You fasten that on the fence. Support collar, a loop, and a sliding lock. And you hope the coyote shows up and goes through right there and through the loop. And that sliding lock chokes him to death. Now, if you are really honest, you'll find yourself in a list of evidences to some degree or another. Or you're going to be able to think of other people that think that fit into this category. And when we do that, then we kind of opt out of dealing with the issues in my own life. So, Jesus said in Luke 6.42, Either how canst thou say to thy brother... Let me pull the mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, then shalt thou see clearly to pull the mote out of thy brother's eye. If I can't see the fear of man in my own life, then I'm not very well qualified to help somebody else with the fear of man in their life. So this is a journey. Um... Unless I properly see myself, unless I understand my own cognitive biases, how I've blocked out seeing who I really am and how I come across, I can't help others. So I've had plenty of this on my own plate. Back when I was um, at SMBI, as this shy little inhibited or this shy fellow from the Midwest that went out there and shivered and shook in my bunk and I wondered what in the world am I doing here I only knew Val a little bit and Luke Kipfer and that was it and that night as I laid there in my bunk the first night there was these fellows who were sitting in the hallway and they were talking about serious stuff and personal stuff and I thought what in the world have I gotten myself into so I enrolled in this counseling class and back then David Hostetler was teaching that class and he gave us one of these personality analysis tests so I took that one and he met individually with us students and when I got in there and I sat down with him he looked across the table at me and he said this is uh, serious <laughs> What do you mean? What are you talking about? He said, and people with degrees have to grade these things, I understand. So, you know, he, this was from a professional. And he said, you have bottomed off the chart on shy and inhibitedness. Is it that bad? I'm sitting here talking to you, but is it that bad? He said, well, you can talk to me, but how about out there to those others? So I knew I had my work cut out to do. And it was the it was the door that needed to be jerked open. And for me to realize that I got something to deal with here. And um so by God's grace we started working on it. Um and I, I think I've been working on it ever since. All of these features of the fear of man have one thing in common. 
and that is that people are big to us. And that's really what my problem was, is that people were very big to me. When I compared what I saw inside of me and how I felt about myself and the things that I hadn't really worked through, people then grow into idolatrous proportions in our lives and they control us. There is, there is not room in our hearts to worship both God and people. I'm not saying people don't matter. They are a gift to us. And we are to relate to them. But they can't get bigger than what God is. When people are big, then God is not. So, the answer. And I'm not going to give you all of the answers. I implied yesterday that one of the answers is learning to be a servant to people, to loving people rather than fearing them, investing in people rather than fearing them. I'm going to work at giving you another answer today, and I'm sure there's more answers to overcoming the fear of man, but here's another one. And I feel it's a big one. The answer to escape the snare of the fear of man is to learn to fear God more than I fear people. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you will be wise in how you relate with people, you will learn the fear of the Lord. James chapter 3, verse 17. So, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We want wisdom, so here's a description of wisdom. But the wisdom that is from above is first peaceable, I mean it's first pure rather, <laughs> then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And all of these wise traits are a characteristic of a person who fears the Lord. This kind of wisdom. Here's the list of the fear of man that I gave you earlier. Overly competitive, shyness, insecurity. Just look down through the list. Easily embarrassed, codependent, fear of failure, given to gossip, defensive, don't handle rejection. Well, compare this list with this list. The wisdom that's from above. Now, I can't really explain to you how this all happens. But as we learn from God, here's what we learn. The pure in heart shall see God. So if we learn to be pure, genuine, through and through, that's different than the facades of the other list. Learning to be peaceable, learning to be gentle with others, easy to be entreated, not defensive, full of mercy, full of good fruits, impartial, and genuine and real, without hypocrisy. I wish I could flesh out that without hypocrisy better because I think that um, um, hypocrisy is more than just being one thing one time and another thing another time hypocrisy has more to do with um, not understanding myself and not being real with who I am and how I come across to others um, so this here, I'll just say, this is a picture of a secure person. The pure, the peaceable, 
easy to be entreated. Those characteristics are for a secure kind of individual. So, my next question then. What does it mean then to learn to fear the Lord more than I fear people? How do I go about this to get this understanding? Well, one place, I think, is Isaiah 6. It's um, Part of it's going to be where I, where I dwell. What do I dwell on? Do I dwell on the, the thoughts of what peop, other people are thinking of me, or do I dwell on chapters like Isaiah 6? And you know how, that, how the chapter starts. The king, king Uzziah, he was, a, he was a marvelous king. He was schooled under Zechariah in the fear of God. And the Lord gave Uzziah success after success. And when prosperity came, he forgot the law of being alert. And Val alluded to this. When the rains come, beware. Beware lest you depart. And he became powerful. He took on himself the responsibility that was only for the priests. And as the result, the Lord afflicted him with leprosy, and he died. A good leader who tripped and was severely disciplined. People were big to his eye. He loved what they thought of his power and success. And his untimely death, the untimely death of a good king was a result of the judgment of God. God was trying to show his people that they must fear him. So it is with this in mind, in the year King Uzziah died, that was his background, and that year that he died, this kind of a king, Isaiah had a vision of heavenly realities. And it's in this vision that we can learn the fear of God. So, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 6, about 1 through 13 here, to help us to think about the fear of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. One had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go, tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he, and he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a teal tree, 
and as the oak whose substance is in them, when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. I'll stop there. My prayer is that the Lord would fill the space of our hearts that He deserves. So Isaiah saw the Lord and he saw Him high and lifted up and sitting upon His throne. It would be neat if we could, I could try to paint a picture of that throne, but I'm unable to. And His robe filled the temple. The Lord dominated the space and above it stood the seraphims and there wasn't room for those creatures. They were awesome creatures. And they had six wings and twain that covered their face and twain that covered their feet and twain that did fly. And those seraphims in that throne room had one job. Calling out the holiness of the Lord. And as they did that, so majestic were their voices that the posts of the door shook. The place was filled with smoke. And they called back between one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth was filled with His glory. And they used, they could have said it one time, but no, it was repetition. A cadence back and forth. The closest I think I've come to that kind of worship was listening to Heaven and Oasis singing back and forth between the choirs. You know, you get a little touch of it here on earth, but only touches of it. You know, I'm thinking of this this shaking of the posts. Our family on the fourth of July. I don't know, was it a moment of weakness? We went to watch the fireworks. And we got right up close to where they were shooting them off. And they were going up and off over Lake Green Lake and we could watch the firemen out on the dock. Boom! Boom! <laughs> I'm sitting there holding Katrina on my lap and I said, Katrina, are you doing okay? How does it feel? She said it goes bump, bump. You know, I wonder if that isn't what Isaiah was kind of getting a little bit of that. And it was so loud. And I tried taking a little video clip of it, and you can't get the gist of it until you're sitting there feeling the bump, bump. But with that kind of a atmosphere as we sat there listening to that, I'm just kind of saying, you know, this is the kind of atmosphere that Isaiah must have somewhat had when he had this vision. I don't think he was... Well, you're going to see in a moment. I don't think he was thinking about, well, what do people think of me? He, he was thinking of, what do I think of him? You see? He's getting an idea. So, this, this, this came on him so heavily as he watched this vision that he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. 
Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, what do we see? When we're fearing man, and we've tipped over into the unhealthy, however that, whenever that happens, however it happens, we're now losing our picture of the woe is me. We're thinking, I want to be somebody. I really want to be somebody. You see, when when God saw that Isaiah saw him this way, he says, I can use that man now. Now I can use him. When he's fearing people, I really can't use him. He's all absorbed in himself. God could use him for himself. God had a message that he wanted delivered to people. And he couldn't use a man that was full of the fear of man. And I'd say that's the message for us. God can't use us. God can't use you as long as you're absorbed with yourself and what people think of you. And me. And when we're all scared of what people might find out about me, we've got, and we're not really going there, we've got stuff in the closet that hasn't been cleaned out. And we're scared that somebody's going to get in there and clean house. We've got the fear of man, and God's not going to be able to use us very well at all. I'm not saying, we've always got things to work on. I know that. I know that. But if there's a lot of baggage sitting back in there. So Isaiah had to forget himself and become an offering to be a servant of God. So one of the greatest blessings of the fear of the Lord is reverential obedience. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go, go tell this people, Hear ye indeed, and understand not, and see ye indeed, and perceive not. Here am I, send me. When our heart is filled with the greatness of God, there is less room for the question, what are people going to think of me? Okay. Is it important to be sensitive to people? Yes. To be gentle. To, to care. A proper sense of fear and coming across, how, how I'm going to come across is appropriate. An example, a couple put this in perspective. There was a man who was sitting in a small group, and he was so frightened to say anything that might upset anyone. So he's the kind of man who's just tiptoeing around. And he was so quiet and hesitant with his wife, and he rarely disciplined his children. And his boss at work terrified him. 
Now he had a father who had unprecedented anger, but forgiving his father did not liberate him from the bondage. But after looking at the pictures of God from the book of Isaiah in four separate meetings, this man asked for prayer because he was planning to speak with the boss about practices in the office he believed were unfair. And for this man, that was huge. For this man, the knowledge of God was a step toward freedom from the fear of people. Passivity in leaders and in fathers often is in idolatrous fear. We have to learn to move past that. Isaiah chapter 40 is another place that we could go. Another passage on a meditation of the fear of the Lord. I've got this one on overhead. Who? You'll just get get this mental picture here of what the the writer is trying to create for us. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales or the hills in a balance? Who's done that? Who had directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, had taught him? Verse 18. To whom we then liken God, or what likeness will you compare unto him? It is he that sitteth on the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, and stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. He's trying to get us to think again about the size of the living God. This living God has got to be bigger to me than you all. And you, I told you, you all have worth. You matter to me. He needs to matter more. Because as I learn to love Him, I learn how to love you. You know, and and what I find just so thrilling now as I, I... we start to come to understand a fear of the Lord and how big He is, He invites me. He's not off in the distance somewhere. He invites me. This great God who we fear invites us. So, hast thou not known? It's like that the everlasting God the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of His understanding because He gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount it with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, he's inviting us into 
relationship with him where he's going to now strengthen me. It's not like he's just going to be this austere figure that I just meditate on. Nope, he invites me into this kind of relationship where he now imparts strength to the feeble-hearted. So, I say again, when people are big to us in our lives, we are insecure. We must learn that God is more loving and more powerful than we ever imagined. You don't learn this overnight. You and I don't learn this overnight. And we don't need to learn it only once. Mountaintop experiences are often quickly overrun by the clamor of the world and our fading focus on God. I don't think the Christian life is a, is a life of holy hops. I like to understand the Christian life as a walk. So, frankly, I don't do very good at invitations or invitational calls just because I, I think the Christian life is a, a meditative walk. Walk in the Spirit. It's a, that's why I say in my next point is that we must establish a daily tradition of growing in the knowledge of God. And I like the word tradition. But I don't want to be a traditionalist. But if something's good and works well and it's worth repeating, do it. A daily tradition of, of meeting with God and filling my mind and my thoughts and my heart with His Majesty. Emphasizing to myself again and again the things I already knew and need to know again. It's called your quiet time. It's called your devotional period. Be still and know that I am God. When I consider the heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Considering and meditating on my smallness doesn't generally build my self-esteem. Rather, it causes me to stand in awe of the fear of the Holy One, my Creator, who calls me into relationship. That's so different from what do people think of me thoughts. Several years ago, I had a dream of someday me and my wife would make a trip. And I wanted to make a trip to the southwest. And I wanted to be able to sit with her on the rim of the Grand Canyon and think. And think about the judgment of God. Because you simply cannot sit on the rim of the Grand Canyon without wondering, how did this happen? This great expanse that obviously at one point was full of matter 
and now it has none. I, I, that was affirmed to me as I, as I um, stood there at the railing and another couple walked up and grandparents and their children. He said, you know, isn't this just amazing how this one little river over millions and millions of years carved this great abyss like this? Origins. How did this happen? You know, That was his question. And I just said, well, it kind of depends on your worldview. He said, yeah, you know, if you bring in the spiritual dimension, there had to be a designer. Of course. But you know, I was able to sit there with Laurel and just me and her and meditate. It was a mountaintop experience. Sit there with goosebumps and thinking about the judgment of God that the world that once was perished. And here I have the evidence that it happened in front of me. So I was, I was filled with the fear of God as I sat there. Uh, well, on top experiences come and they go, you know, and it's a good memory now, but I have to continually have a daily tradition of finding other ways, you know, and, and this is another place where you're going to find it, is sitting at the ocean front. The vastness of that's out there and my smallness, how little I am and how big he is. And here... If you look closely, you might recognize it. Two years ago, right down here, in the morning. Uh, these kind of places are, are times where we connect with our Creator and get another vision of, of, of who He is. Uh, my prayer is that it will happen to us this week, you know, but this week is just a shot in the arm. It'll come. It'll go and it's a memory again. And you'll be back home again. Back into the, whatever you were doing. But you have the opportunity to have a tradition of daily meeting your Creator and getting a vision again of a throne of God if you meditate on His written Word and ask Him to through His Spirit fill you again. Moses got that picture. When he was called of God, called to fear God more than to fear people. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he fled to the, he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said... I will now turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And in verse 5, he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look on God this is Moses the man who said I don't I can't speak but after he got a vision of the Holy One he went before Pharaoh 
He had a fear of man. God took care of that with him as he Moses became a man of courage. And he led the children of Israel out of Egypt, not to mention how he needed to lead Egypt out of the children of Israel, as Val was illustrating for us, that golden calf. They were still in Egypt in him, and he had to try to lead it out of them. So we also can be a man or woman of courage as we meet with God on a regular basis. Another aspect of the fear of God is his wrath, realizing that he has wrath. In Romans 2, verse 5, But after thy hardness and impotent heart treasurest up unto thyself against the day of wrath and revelation the righteous judgment of God. Hell teaches us about the fear of the Lord. But you know, rather than think about the holy wrath of God, people want to have their self-esteem inflated. We want to feel better about ourselves rather than obeying the holy God who is able to judge disobedience in hell. And Jesus, who is the one who rescues us from hell, he actually is also the one who spoke the most about hell. Um, people need to know the love of God. But that same Bible that talks about God's love also talks about his wrath. How do we hold these two? I think we too need to hold these two. Jonathan Edwards was a preacher during what was called the Great Awakening Revival. And he was a Calvinist who preached on hell and the fear of the Lord. He preached sermons like the justice of God and the damnation of sinners. And most of you have probably heard about his most famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Well, he first preached this sermon to his home church in Northampton, Massachusetts. And there is little known of any response. People left the church building and they walked out and they were talking in the yard about whether or not the sun would shine to dry the hay. Kind of a typical example of a hometown preacher who people fall asleep on. You know, uh, It's just the familiar... <laughs> prophet is not except in his own country, Jesus said. That's kind of the way it is. You become familiar with a, a preacher and well, it's just him again. So, just Jonathan Edwards up there again, giving his sermon. Hey, think about it. It was July 8th, 1741. I don't have the audience. Where the audience was. I thought it was at a university. But he's looking for a sermon to preach and he reached his saddlebag and found, a, found one here that was earmarked Good. You should never do that, though. <laughs> but he pulled out this one. And it was a totally different outcome. I have some of it here. There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. The wrath of God is like great waters that are dammed up for the present and they increase more and more. They rise higher and higher till an outlet is given. And the longer the stream is stopped, the more rapid and mighty its course which once it, when once it is let loose. The God 
who holds you over the pit of hell, as much as one holds a spider or loathsome insect over the flame, his wrath towards you burns like fire, and he is he is of pure eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You have offended him infinitely more than a stubborn rebel did his prince. O oh, sinner, consider the fearful danger you're in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it. And as he preached this sermon, people got up and howled and wailed and cried for him to stop. They fell off their pews for the fear of God. Now, maybe that was a bit immature of them. But at least it was a start to understanding and fear of God. Well, and finally, amazement is also an aspect of fear of God. And the book of Mark is is filled with amazements. Um, Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 6. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart from themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his raiment was it became shining exceedingly as white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared to them Elias and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. And notice this, for he wist not what to say. They were so afraid. Can you imagine Peter? being speechless he just absolutely needed to say something now I still can't understand <laughs> why did he say let's, let's quickly let's, let's build three tabernacles where did he get that from it's almost as though he had to say something because Peter can't be speechless in Matthew 17 verse 5, and eight, 5 to 8 gives this account and while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were so afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. And when he had lifted their eyes, they saw no man, but he oh, saved Jesus only. So, my conclusion is that God is a holy God. A God to be feared. A God we need to get a picture of. But he also invites us, fear not. Come close. I want you close. And that, that invitation is, to me, such a blessing. So will you be comforted today and you learn the fear of the Lord and say with Isaiah, woe is me, I'm undone. Here am I. Send me. And when our heart is filled with the greatness of God, there's less room for the question, what are people going to think of me?